Each of you assembled here today decided that you were going to see that 10 other people are registered before the last day, which I think is next weekend, the 14th, I believe. Just see what a power you can be. And then after getting people registered, that is another and even greater responsibility. And that is to go out to vote in the primary. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. As we're fully in the 2022 primary season, I thought that clip from Martin Luther King Jr. was particularly appropriate, as he spoke about the importance of voting to South Carolinians as they headed to vote in a primary contest to decide who would fill a Senate seat vacant as a result of the death of Senator Olin Johnston. Moving from 1966 to today, let's talk about the primaries underway right now, as well as ongoing developments in our economy and their possible impact on the midterms and the latest developments, of course, in the January 6th investigation. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, June 7th. First, let's talk about the primaries. We are seeing mixed Trump influence in the primaries. Most of the big lie candidates have been failing in key primaries for secretary of state and election administration roles. Um, But despite high-profile losses in the secretary of state in Georgia, and of course the governor in Georgia, the Trump endorsement otherwise is carrying very heavy weight across the country. The latest victory is with Dr. Oz claiming the victory in the Pennsylvania Senate primary, even as the recount considers now that his opponent has resigned. It's also really important to note that even those who are not getting the Trump endorsement are running very conservative to try to win over the Republican base, which is even still very invested in Trump and his message. Today, what we're looking at are the primary season elections all over the country, California, Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, and South Dakota are all headed to primaries. Democrats in California are actually trying to boost some of the far-right candidates in several races as they're hoping to boost the re-election chances for Democrats in the general election if some of those far-right, more fringe candidates win in the GOP primaries. In Mississippi and South Dakota, we're seeing uh, current representatives Stephen Palazzo and Dusty Johnson facing very serious inter-party challenges from other Republicans. Palazzo has been facing an ethics investigation that he illegally used campaign funds for personal purposes, and he's being challenged by a range of six other Republicans. And in South Dakota, Johnson's facing a challenge from State Representative Taffy Howard, who's a big lie supporter. So some more moments to see, will the kind of Trump influence play out or not in the primaries today? In Iowa, on the other hand, the focus is on the Democratic primary for Senate, where Representative Abby Finkenauer was long seen as the frontrunner to take on Senator Chuck Grassley in the uh, election this fall. But her campaign almost ended in April when a lower court temporarily threw her off the ballot when they determined she didn't have enough valid signatures. But the Supreme Court of Iowa ultimately did rule in her favor. Her main primary rival is retired Navy Vice Admiral Mike Franken, He lost badly in 2020 for Iowa's other Senate seat, but they're running neck and neck. And so it's a real question of who's going to be up to take on Grassley in November, even though it'll be a very hard general election fight. Speaking of signature issues, um, let's talk about Michigan, which is actually, if you haven't been paying attention, really interesting and unexpected developments. The biggest case of signature fraud in the state ever. 
continues to unfold. Five candidates for the Republican gubernatorial nomination were thrown off the ballot after the board of canvassers discovered thousands of fraudulent signatures. The two leading candidates appealed their removal from the ballot, and on Friday, the Michigan Supreme Court, in a 6-1 decision that crossed party lines, ruled against former Detroit Police Chief James Craig and against wealthy businessman Perry Johnson in their attempt to get back on the August Republican primary ballot. Craig has said he might try a write-in campaign. Johnson asked a federal judge yesterday to halt the printing of primary ballots, but at this point, the odds are against either one of them getting back on the ballot, which has really changed the landscape for the gubernatorial election. It's also impacted ballot measures. Michigan is a very active ballot measure state, and many of the uh, ballot measure campaigns that were collecting signatures have also been impacted. A number of different statutory initiatives were expected to file by June 1st to be on the ballot, but only one did, a proposal to regulate payday lending. Those that didn't, um, on the conservative side, the so-called Unlock Michigan petition, which sought to limit public health orders during pandemics, has actually walked away from its signature campaign. It's just going to lobby the legislature. You've got then Secure Michigan Vote, which is seeking to restrict voting rights, and Let Michigan Kids Learn, which has two proposals actually backed by the DeVos family to create voucher-like scholarship programs, have basically both admitted that they're going to just avoid the true purpose of a ballot measure. And instead, what they're going to do is they're going to continue collecting signatures this summer and then press the legislature to adopt it before the end of the year. They're really showing that their signature collection was just another mockery of democracy. Really what they're trying to do is collect enough signatures to allow the legislature to pass their ballot measure and avoid a gubernatorial veto. So really concerning dynamics around the play of democracy in Michigan um, and how laws get made and the checks and balances of the legislature and governor there. On the progressive side, um, One Fair Wage, which seeks to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, said it's going to seek uh, file signatures later this summer instead and try to get on the 2024 ballot. So it's been pushed back, but it's trying to catch up. And then two other measures around decriminalizing the use of psychedelics and changing the good time laws that apply to state prisoners are both really unclear at this moment. Last, if you've been tracking, there are two last proposals in Michigan. They're constitutional rather than statutory. One to recognize the right to an abortion and the other to expand voting rights. Both have said they're still on file to submit enough signatures by their extended deadline of July 11th, but they're having to play catch up as well. So the dynamics of this signature fraud has really upended politics in Michigan, a really critical state to the future of American democracy. So something to keep an eye on. Last two things I want to talk about this morning. Obviously, we continue to grapple with dynamics of inflation and what's happening in the economy. The Biden administration trying to figure out how it can take action. They're continuing to try to rein in gas prices, but negotiating for boosts in global production still stalled. You've seen Biden invoke different powers to try to intervene with the limits and the shortages around formula. Now, Biden has invoked the Defense Production Act to boost the production of solar panels and their parts, hopefully both nodding to his commitments to climate and also contributing to economic production. And then last and high profile, Biden administration canceled $5.8 billion in student loan debt for 560,000 borrowers who attended Corinthian Colleges, the now defunct for-profit school network. It's the largest single federal debt relief ever. 
but even bigger, Biden is expected to decide in July or August whether to partially forgive student loan debt across the board, potentially a game changer for the lives of millions of people who are struggling with student loan debt, also potentially a game changer in terms of its impact on the midterm elections. Lots of back and forth of whether a 10,000 per student relief is appropriate, whether it should all be forgiven, whether it should be means tested. So expect a lot of jockeying around student loan forgiveness over the next two months and a real potential impact on November elections as well. And then finally, so much coming out this week around the January 6th investigation. Pence's chief of staff reportedly warned the Secret Service that Trump was going to publicly turn against the vice president. First time that's coming out into the public. The Justice Department filed charges against the former top leader of the Proud Boys and four other members of the Proud Boys for seditious conspiracy. But at the same time, they declined to prosecute former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Communications Chief Daniel Scavino. So some big uh, charges being brought, but also not brought mixed results um, that is leaving people unfulfilled around how the Justice Department is continuing to investigate and charge people related to January 6th. And then last and certainly not least is that the House Select Committee is preparing to host its first televised hearing on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. A lot of people have been comparing this to the Watergate hearings and wondering whether these set of public hearings will have a real impact on the public perception of January 6th. Will it change the public mood like the Watergate hearings change the views around Nixon? Personally, I'm hopeful that it does, but I'm also doubtful that it will because we live in such a different media environment. When the Watergate hearings went up, everyone in the country was watching. Today, we have so many sources of news, not to mention Republican efforts to undermine the hearings themselves, that I think that the dynamics around the hearings will be different. But it all depends what actually happens during the hearings themselves. What gets released? How do things get presented? Does it capture the public imagination? So the way that it lands over the next few weeks will have a real impact on the future of our democracy and the way people understand that critical moment of what happened on January 6th. So that's all for this week's review of developments in our democracy. I'm Jason Franklin. I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. But in the meantime, please reach out to the One for Democracy team at www.onefordemocracy.org if there's any way we can help support you to take action to protect and strengthen our democracy. Until next week, take care.